Welcome to the Marvel Events Timeline, the podcast that takes you on a journey through Timely, Atlas, and Marvel Comics, one event at a time. Here are your hosts, Travis Bowe and Brian Lockhart. Well, hey, Travis, what do you say we get the squad back together? Round up the team? Yeah. Let's do it. You want to go fight Storm Shadow? I do. He might join us and then he might be a villain again. It's, it's hard to say. We, you know, we'll, we'll have to read comics to find out where, where he stands. Specifically, All Winners comics, number 19. I know that we discussed the All Winners squad at one point. <laughs> Did we, though? <laughs> <laughs> this is a little different, though. I, th- I think uh, Yeah, a little different. <laughs> this is what I was expecting all yeah. those months ago when, <laughs> when we were young and naive. Oh, the heady days of six months ago right we've learned so much but since mm. then so, I've, yeah i've learned so much since then then yeah. tell him i can be a jedi we're reckless that's all i can say right <laughs> <laughs> well uh yeah we're, we're here discussing all winners comics and the for real and it is <laughs> it's been written by bill finger of all people yeah i was that was a surprise to me a, a welcome surprise i think it was simon's book bill finger should have gotten a lot more credit than what he did for Marvel stuff too. Like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Like he was the go-to guy, you know? Right. So I got all this from marvel.fandom.com wiki. Yeah. Good, good website. Yeah, very good website. Very good. Like it's Wikipedia, but it's a little pared down. This one says finger is primarily known as the co-creator of DC comics, Batman. So it's nice to see that they're putting it out there as uh, right on front street, as well as, that character's subsequent development. Like he came up with most of the, the Batman stuff. However, Mr. Finger also wrote for timely comics. The writer penned the first adventure of the all winter squad. Finger probably also wrote several stories for captain America comics. That probably really tells me a lot that he yeah, also didn't get credited for a lot of work. Could that be why Captain America was asked to come to Gotham all those times? <laughs> oh my God, it makes so much sense. Watch the documentary, Bill the Boy Wonder. It's all about Bill not getting credit for Batman and how that really affected his life. And it's a it's a sad story, but it's a great documentary. I do think they do a much better job nowadays of giving proper credit where credit is due. Unfortunately, it just was not the time thing back then. We've talked about that, you know. Yeah. Kind of sign your life away and we'll, we'll take your creation. And yeah, as we got into with Simon and Kirby about how they, they were promised money that never came to them. Right. Will Eisner, that's why they left, uh, <laughs> yeah. before, you know, early on. So yeah, it's just. Siegel and Schuster got 500 bucks for Superman or something like that. Something crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't until the movie before they finally got some sort of mm. like recognition and, or like stipend, you know, yeah. like for, for all their years of uh service but anyways that's that's yeah. for that's that's for the dc event timelines <laughs> to discuss that's right those guys are jerks <laughs> but uh the penciler for this is uh sid shores and l bellman credited oh, yeah. for chapter two alan bellman yeah i have notes on al alan bellman for a future issue so okay i'll great. talk about him a little bit later sid shores i saw a lot in the come up a lot in the captain america comics that i was yeah. reading and you touched on his war career, didn't you? A couple episodes ago. I, I believe so. I, yeah. um, Cause I remember his name popping up, but 
don't ask me to quote it right now. That was, oh, sure. That was way back then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Although I probably have my notes right right around the corner here, you know, right right near near me. But well, editor, and I saw that you know they weren't always crediting the editor early on, but they uh, right. they have the editor is Stan Lee. Yeah. Cover by Al Iveson. It's a good cover. It's a good cover. Um, cover date. Well, speaking of cover date, September nineteen forty six. With a release date of July twenty fourth, nineteen forty six. So definitely post war. Yeah. Oh yeah. By the by the time they get together, which is funny because I've always we've always or I mean I always thought the All Winners was the precursor to the Invaders. Yeah. And they didn't even get together until after the war. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, yeah. My my perception of of what this team was and what these stories were going to be is completely different now that we're really in it. So. And honestly, and I'll just put this out here right now, based on what we know about Captain America, this is now 1946. I don't think this is Steve Rogers. Mm. I mean, they call him Steve. Sure. But that that's a story for another time, I guess. Is yeah, we- this, yeah, this would not be Steve. Steve is currently floating in an iceberg in the North Atlantic. Yeah. I, I mean, my guess is at this time it would have been Jeff. Jeffrey Jeff Mace. Mace. Yeah. I think it would, yeah, it would have been Jeffrey Mace. I think he was the Patriot. Anyways, um, yeah, this is a great cover, as you mentioned. Yeah. Well, you didn't mention it, but you did mention Storm Shadow. <laughs> it's literally Storm Shadow from G.I. Joe. <laughs> he's got all our all winners dangling. As, you know, he's master of puppets. Yeah. That's something the kids like nowadays <laughs> is Master of Puppets. So. They run up that hill to get to that Master of Puppets CD. <laughs> so, uh, see, the Human Torch, Captain America, and Submariner battle the world's most fearful villain in a complete sizzling action thriller. And when they say complete, they mean it this time. It's funny because those three get name dropped twice on the cover of this issue. Above the all winners, it says Human Torch, Captain America, Submariner. And then in the big red burst, see Human Torch, Captain America, Submariner, Battle, and the rest. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, and it's funny, too, because, I mean, clearly they still are, like, you know, the big three at the time. Mm -hmm. You know, you think Iron Man and Thor and Cap, but it's really these guys. Now it is, yeah, yeah. Hey, we should write a comic where the big three from then fight the big three from now. Tell you, Marvel, we got ideas. They did an Avengers versus Invaders comic in roughly like 2006 2007 maybe alex ross i think painted the covers it was a fun little series i don't remember much of it but eventually maybe that'll be something we get to but yeah i i definitely think it's an amazing cover i do think that toro looks like astro boy yeah or tj's big boy either pick take your pick (laughs) but but really more astro boy i think absolutely yeah, but it's, it, I mean, it's a decent cover. L. Iveson, I, I, I will sing his praises. I, I'm a fan of his work. Something that grew from this podcast. You know, I, yeah, I was yeah, not yeah. too familiar with him ahead of time. But it's broken down into eight chapters, seven of which revolve around the main plot. And there is an additional text story by Stan Lee. Mm. Uh, again, requirement at the time, they had to have a two page thing. Uh, I didn't even bother to read it because it wasn't yeah, relevant to either. the. Yeah, no, so we'll just skip that when we get to it. It was called Pearls of Wisdom. I love at the time, the first page is basically another cover. Yeah, yeah. This one is excellent. It says all winners, and they're Captain America in the center. They're on, like on a hill, and it's everybody kind of standing in like a cool pose, like they're posing for a picture or something, you know? Standing around like a bunch of jackasses. <laughs> There's kind of like somebody holding like an orb, and he's like pondering into this orb. Yeah, it's another like cloaked figure cloaked figure with gnarly hands yeah look at those those hands (laughs) (laughs) so yeah right away 
from the beginning of time, there has been crime. Evil men have stolen and murdered. But through the ages, there have always also risen protectors of justice who have crushed infamy. Today, our champions of law and humanity are the most famous of all time, the all-winner squad, who now meet to strike against a master criminal. Ibsipsa? <laughs> Is Bisa? Is Bisa? Question mark. Uh, who plotted the most astounding of all crimes, the crime of the ages, which is chapter one. Yeah. So, uh, you know, our story begins with the uh, human torch. He wrote FF in the sky. No, yeah. no, no. <laughs> he does some sky writing, calling Captain America, Submariner, Miss America, Wizard Emergency to go to the city museum at once. And before everyone was carrying like a supercomputer in their back pocket, yeah, this was the most efficient way to send a message. Like even in the 60s, in the Marvel comics and Fantastic Four, they're skywriting. When when the Fantastic Four need to get together in the first issue, I think Mr. Fantastic shoots a flare into the sky. When Spider-Man and, and Johnny Storm want to meet up, Storm will write us another flaming sky message, you know, saying, you know, meet me in the usual place, you know, which is Statue of Liberty. Other than that, they'll use like radio ads or uh, take an ad out in the Daily Bugle or whatever. So, yeah, this is the most efficient way to, to reach people at this time. Yeah, it, it totally is. But it it's effective. Right. Because what happens? Well, Toro's already with Torch, so, you know, he's there. You don't have to ask for his help. But uh, Bucky and Cap are in uh, Daniel LaRusso's car, his yellow car <laughs> from Karate Kid. They're driving, the, you know, towards the city museum, and, and Miss America flies uh, above them. Wizard and Namor are kind of having a little bit of a swim-slash-run race. They're talking junk to each other, which is fun. Hey, hurry up, Slowpoke, and all that good stuff. <laughs> so everyone is basically assembled at the museum, and they're wondering, all right, what's, what, why are we here? You know, what's, what's going on? It says, Torch says, he's got something big for them, all right, and it's going to take all of them to lick it. I will pise for you to insert your own joke here. Wortham was right. <laughs> Torch introduces us to Professor Saba, curator of the museum, and his assistant, Meek. It's a, it's a little on the nose. He really is a mousy guy. He's, mm. You know, he's like the Smithers of uh, with yeah. Mr. Burns, although he's not in love with the, the professor. He's like, <laughs> he's really timid and afraid of him. Yeah. Well, basically, they got this uh, thing called the Ages of Mankind. It was like one of their prime exhibits, and all the ages have been broken into. And they're saying this is no ordinary crime, though, because, you know, everybody's like, well, it's like vandals. Like, what do you want us right. to do? Well, he's like, no, no, we got a, we got a letter here to the all-winter squad. I smashed this exhibit of the Ages of Man, uh, kind is of, uh, basically, Ages mankind. of Mankind. There's a dash there. I can't, <laughs> I can't, I can't read. I'm like Ron Burgundy. So as a symbol of my might, the ages have a clue for each of you. These clues are my challenge to you all, as I have indicated in the notes, which I have left behind. He's kind of repeating himself. <laughs> I, yes, I, I challenge you to the game of the ages. Winner take all. In the end, I shall have everything, for I am the all-powerful Isbisa. Funny name. Maybe reverse? <laughs> yeah, backwards. It doesn't make any sense. Front, backwards, you know, nothing to them. Miss America, uh, she's doing her makeup. Of course, you know, she is a girl. Right. But I like it's actually very like they're like, what do we do about this challenge? As she's like powdering her nose literally while we take the challenge, of course. Like to her, right. it's like I like actually I kind of like that. She's she's kind of blowing it off, right? Yeah. But she's like, duh, like I'm doing my makeup over here because of course we're gonna do this. Like, let's get ready. Let's go. Yeah. All right. So, you know, they, they get the first <laughs> the first clue. 
and there's a there's a note that was not meant for her like an, an extra note falls out my dear roman this note is just a reminder do your part well and we'll all be satisfied is bisa hmm. roman Hmm. Well, we've already tried Isbisa backwards. What if we tried Roman backwards? Why, that's Namor! <laughs> oh my goodness. Clearly, Namor is, uh, you know, that's he you, Submariner. Yeah, yeah, he's gotta be. Are you working with this guy? And he's like, huh? <laughs> and he's like, now look, you know, there's some practical jokes going on, but, you know, this is not funny. And he's like, wait, you, you're serious. So you actually believe this? And he's, he storms off. Rightfully so. He's offended. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And guess who's also offended? Torch's little uh, young ward, Toro. Yeah, he's he's the only adult in the room. Like he's <laughs> he's a twelve year old kid is himself, yeah. and he's the only adult in the room. Yeah, and he decides he's going to go with Namor. I, he's like he's got a right to be sore. That's no way to treat a pal. Well, it isn't. They just automate. I mean, we know Namor's done some pretty terrible things in the past, <laughs> yeah. but been on the side of angels for for longer than he's been evil at mm. this point. I think, right? Yeah, you know? yeah. So we give him the benefit of the doubt. You know, look. They got some infighting, but we they got a public service to do. They got a, you know, they're squabbling, but we need to handle this. So basically a brief interlude before we get to the next chapter. And it's Isbisa, who's now dressed in all black and not mm. white like he is on the cover, which I think is quite weird. But yeah. ha ha ha, it begins. The incredibly stupid fools have walked into my trap with eyes wide open. Ha ha. And then that would typically be the end of a comic, I guess, if it was a, if it was stretched out. Nowadays, that would have been one issue. This 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 whole book would have been six issues, but yeah, <laughs> and it, and it wouldn't have been stretched out any more than this, though. It would have just been that. But anyways, we're on to chapter two. Chapter two picks up. This is the Captain America chapter, and their note tells them to go to the Museum of Art. Says first to lead off in the preliminary bout with Isbisa, the criminal of the ages are Captain America and Bucky. For them is the trying task of solving the case of the idol with the starry eyes, product of the Age of Bronze. And their note says, if you would seek the Age of Bronze, why not visit the Museum of Art? The conceit is that. Each chapter is their own, their own age, yeah, right, yeah, and they're and they're, and each hero is going to get its own challenge. So even though they're a team, they're off on their own, right. So Cap and Bucky, they get to the museum. Uh, there's some ne'er do wells about who uh, wonder, you know, if if Cap and Bucky are there to foil their plans. They kind of watch them, you know, as they they enter the museum. The museum director is showing them the main attraction in the Bronze Age section uh, when these ruffians, they pop up with their, with a shotgun. And the bum says something about uh, the museum choosing to show off this junk instead of his masterpieces. So this artist bum throws an envelope at Cap and then tries to run away. <laughs> <laughs> Cap's like, I hate to disappoint you, chum, and then tackles him. So it's kind of nice. Then some goons sneak up. They crack Cap across the back of the head, and they also overtake Bucky. Jeez, Johnny says what he sees, too, though. He's like, Cap, <laughs> yeah. oh, they slugged him. And then literally he's like, you slug Cap in the next game. <laughs> like, how many times are you going to talk about this, kid? Uh, so they wake up later, and the museum director reads them uh, the letter that was left. Everyone's leaving letters. and <laughs> Listen to what was on the note that that man tossed at us. Mr. Director, don't be worried. I didn't aim at you. I just wanted to ruin your idol. You'll find that my gun's buckshot was coated with particles of bronze disease, and now they've infected your idol. 
And so, rightly so, Bucky says, bronze disease. Can bronze get sick? Cap says, yes, bronze can suffer from a form of corrosion. It's caused by ammonium chloride or sulfate. Coats the bronze with a green crystallizing mold. I don't know any, much about bronze. Is is that like copper when it turns green? Yeah, like if you look at your like pipe sometimes, yeah. if it starts to corrode, it gets that weird kind of funky green stuff on it. So I, I assume that's what's going on with, yeah. with this, but I didn't know you could shoot it with a shotgun to infect it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the, the director, he's worried because if one piece gets a collector's disease, it must be removed immediately or it will infect the other pieces. I don't know about all this. Um, I'm sure it getting this uh, or turning green like like copper. I'm sure that's a, fa- a thing, but I don't know. I mean, I, I'll go with the fact that I'll, I'll give them their conceit that maybe yeah. there's like mold spores, basically that just kind of attach to the other stuff. Yeah. But, yeah. but if you can shoot it with a shotgun, I you know I question that's the, a very the science powerful delivery it. method. <laughs> yeah, exactly, it's the most effective way. You yeah. Know. Uh, Cap even says like. Why did that phony infect the idol? Revenge? No, that's not logical. He was no artist. So Bucky deduces that those men were bandits. They wanted the, the idol to be taken out of the museum. And then Cap adds that they intend to hijack the plant truck. It would be easy on the highway. They're after the star sapphires, which are the, the eyes of this uh, idol. So they're all kind of getting prepared for uh, kind of planning to discourage a hijacking. So they send put it in an armored truck with uh, some police escort and uh, director goes to make a call to have uh, a new bronze piece moved from the museum's warehouse to replace the missing idol. And when that truck arrives, it's the goons from before who knock out the museum director, find out that their plan all along was to rob the museum of its paintings. So everything before that was, was a distraction, but of course, Cap suspected all along that uh, that this wasn't over. So he and Bucky attacked the goons. Uh, they managed to get Bucky at gunpoint, probably because he's a 12-year-old boy. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> though he's actually probably 15 or 16 by now, uh, legitimately, just because how long the age. Yeah. Oh, and then I wrote, if this is even the same Bucky. <laughs> so, well, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Jack Monroe or something like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> see they get yeah they get overtaken they get tied up um cap makes use of a broken light bulb to uh cut his bonds and then what does he do here oh he Uh, he does a little macgyver work yeah he does oh someone threw uh, some pennies at him he said here's your two cents loudmouth. go ahead and break loose so he's got these pennies that he picks up. Then comes the answer to Cap's teasing of Porky for snagging a penny. Cap unscrews the bulb and inserts the penny into the, the light bulb socket, causing a blackout. He's a little freer to operate. He mops up the, the goon squad here. Well, then they kill Cap. Oh, is, oh, is that what happens? Yeah, they, they oh. literally murder. That's why there's like three people that become Cap in this era. They just murder them. <laughs> that's why we're doing this event. <laughs> oh, well, that's that's too bad. I thought Cap stuck around a lot longer. <laughs> With the art here, they do make good use of shadows when, when the lights are off. I like seeing Cap's silhouette. They they shoot at this uh, silhouette of Cap, and then they realize it's a, it's a statue of a wrestler. And then, yeah, Yahoo, Cap busts in. 
with uh, Bucky and Bucky says, uh, when you when you stuck that copper penny in the fixture, you short circuited all the electrical current. And Cap's like, tisk tisk, Bucky, that wasn't a copper penny. All modern penny coins are composed of copper and tin, making the alloy bronze. So bronze got us into this mess, and now bronze gets us out of it. That's my motto. One of the goons they drag, they're gonna basically force him to spill the, the details. And just like the last chapter, this one ends with a little panel with Isbisa as he's uh, basically gloating to himself about Captain America, the blind fool. <laughs> uh, what did you think about this chapter? It's fun. It's it's fine. Yeah, it, it's fine. Yeah, <laughs> it's got some some action. It, the whole oh, obviously this plan was a trojan horse you know all along what you know that some of that stuff is it's a bit yeah it's a little like you know like batman 66 where he makes all these like conclusions Mm. and i'd like to i like the trick with the putting the shield on the statue and then they shoot at it and then he's like you know "Ah, i fooled you (laughs) yeah um i do i think it's funny that the fat guy's named porky of course yeah yeah exactly (laughs) Yeah. yeah i do like the the whole here's your two cents and all that. But one thing I noticed is cap shield color changes throughout oh, all the time. They don't know which order the stripes are colored or how many stripes are on it. Exactly. It totally, it's different. Every panel. I swear. Yeah. One thing I noticed, you know, early on is cap shield does have blue on the outside consistently in those old comics. Yeah. And I wondered what, what point did it change? Mm. And I thought I, I, there is a panel where there's red on the outside, the way it is in modern times. Sure. However, it's also blue. There's also white. It's, it's yeah. always like, well, it wasn't this issue. They I just wonder, forgot. In, yeah. in this issue, I kind of wonder if the blue on the outside ring is meant to be the edge yeah. of the, the metal. Like I could yeah, I could see that. Right. But it's it's funny because it's like they you're right, they have that, but there is another panel where it's it is legit blue on the outside. Oh, sure. And then another panel where it's legit white. Yeah. <laughs> so like it's okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But even even we like we knew that like I think Simon had to make notes for Kirby because he would forget <laughs> what yeah. certain things he'd even draw the wrong shield sometimes they mm. said he would have to go back and fix it but oh wow yeah and of course Star Sapphire that that jumped out to me we already <laughs> yeah. had Gotham City now we got Star Sapphire so of course yeah that brings us to chapter three I guess right yeah the Wizard <laughs> <laughs> so yeah the Wizard he's, he's pretty fun. Let's just recap who the wizard is, right? Yeah, please. The wizard, the fastest man alive. Is that the flash? <laughs> the wizard, if you recall, got his incredible speed from the fastest mammal on the face of the earth. And of course, <laughs> the mongoose. <laughs> Obviously. Injected with mongoose blood. He is now oh, the fastest man. man alive. So let's let's never forget that, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so, yeah, he's basically faster than a speeding bullet and a... Well, maybe not, maybe more, more powerful than a locomotive, but he's definitely faster than one because mm-hmm. it, it starts off, he's racing a train with people shooting at him. Yeah. The second clue, wizard, call on movie director Cameron and learn about the Iron Age is Bisa. So luckily he's into gossip magazines <laughs> and uh, he, he knows that this guy named Cameron, I'm assuming his name is James, yeah. is out filming in the Flatlands. Wizard learns that this director, Cameron, is doing a period piece on a real-life train robber named Mel Brennings. Uh, he robbed a train of its gold shipment back in the eight, you know 1800s or early 1900s, back in the Old West, basically. Mm-hmm. Gold was never recovered. 
it's actually a matter of fact that while they're filming this particular movie, they're actually they got a hold of the old Iron Horse they called it they used in the rob uh, in the robbery like the real one like the one that was right, part of it train. so yeah. yeah exactly prop guy found it somewhere and they're now they're using it to film this guy Cameron is thinking of making a real life disaster film next about <laughs> a boat in the Atlantic but <laughs> the filming of the train robber commences and and you know wizards you know noticing that birds are falling from the sky they're like they're getting killed yeah. and you know the actors are using real bullets insert your own alec baldwin joke here i'm above that all right these are no ordinary actors as a matter of fact they're thugs hired by isbisa who um they basically knocked out the the legit actors and, yeah. and are, are in place and nobody noticed them because they you know they're cowboys so they got in their train robbers so they got the masks on yeah. right yeah yeah <laughs> perfect well it's wizard time as the wizard uh, <laughs> writes himself into the script <laughs> and he's uh go ahead <laughs> the thing about the wizard i really like is that when he runs his speed trail says whiz <laughs> and so he's literally whizzing all over the place all over the place he, he can't stop whizzing everywhere <laughs> this is pretty amazing that's a great observation on your part about how his speed trail literally says whiz. I love when they do stuff like that. Yeah. Like that's, fu- that's a fun mm-hmm. thing yeah. that's exclusive to comics. We, and we haven't really talked about the wizard yet. Obviously it just hasn't come up yet. He's got these wings on the side of his helmet, like, like the flash, but they're, they seem bigger. They oh, seem to stick bigger. out more. I, I don't care for this look. He's got a big W on his chest. I don't mind the, the color scale, although it's unfortunate that he's wearing yellow. <laughs> I'm telling you, they were on to something. They, yeah. they, knew, they knew what they were doing. <laughs> All right, so he's a, he's a fast guy. So how do you, you know, how do you stop a fast guy? Well, you basically put some lubrication oil on the freaking ground, and he basically defeats himself by yeah. slipping. He can't control his speed. He can't stop. So he, sure. he basically bangs into the train. I, although I don't know how he did that because he's like in such a tight space but they throw him off the train basically mm-hmm. yeah so it's told but it's not shown that the villains have jumped off of uh oh this, yeah the the iron horse and, and got on a modern train they're in the middle of the desert filming this <laughs> right on a, like a movie set where nobody yeah. else is around and then all of a sudden another modern train like an amtrak basically comes by oh, yeah it's insane and they never show it right i forgot about that so basically, the wizard accepts a bribe from Cameron. You know, he's like, look, mm-hmm. go stop these guys, and I'll give you 25K to your favorite charity if you allow me to film you and yeah. you're defeating these villains. So, you know, this guy's making, a, they're, they're, they're ad-libbing like crazy on set. I think when I first read Streamliner, I guess I took it a Steamliner, and I took that to mean a boat. And that's okay. how the guys got away. And now I, I <laughs> get desert. it. It's another train called a streamliner, a modern streamliner. So he's trying to catch up with the train that the uh, the goons are on. That's right. Yeah. You, you're going to have to walk me through this and make sure I got it right. Because it's very confusing here, right? Yeah. So this is what he does. He's after the steam liner. You know, he basically grabs the iron horse, you know, yeah. the old the old one. Chain him up to it. <laughs> yeah, and he starts running with it, basically. Mm-hmm. Using his incredible speed, basically, he pulls the old iron horse and, and, and instead of just going up after the steam liner, which he's super yeah. fast and he could have probably caught it in no time, he's yeah. now pulling the thing. But anyways, they're explaining it in the comic that because he's an, even though he's a normal man and he has normal man strength, because he's going fast faster than the train can catch up to him it's like he can kind of just pull it it says 
allows the train's weight to quote unquote catch up to his body weight. Was it already moving? Like, did they jump off a moving <laughs> I train? Know. I don't know. Like, I don't know. Because he would have never got it going if it, you know, like, it makes right. sense. You're basically saying his momentum is carrying this train that's hard, but he had to get started, right? Yeah, I don't know. So then he, like, catches up to the other train with the train for some reason, mm-hmm. launches himself through the window of the modern train, and socks the one guy and cracks the other guy <laughs> in the face. And they're like, eat lead. And he's like, you're too slow, chump. Sure. So wizard whizzes all over the place again. He gets to everyone except this one guy who has the high ground, and he's, and he's got, you know, got him dead to rights, basically. Wizard, using his keen intellect, uses the old trick, hey, look over there, you know, <laughs> or he says, look out. Low bridge. Yeah, yeah, low bridge. Everybody down. Low bridge. We're coming to town. Crook's like, wait, but wait, there's no bridge. But but it, it distracted him enough that, you know, whizzes up to him and punches him in the face with a mighty wizard's blast. <laughs> <laughs> you know, basically the, the capper on the story is it turns out the crooks actually found Mel Brenning's gold. Yeah. So it was in the old train. It was in the floorboards. <laughs> and somehow Isbisa knew about it and sure. gave the information to these crooks. So that's what he, you know, this is what it's looking like it's happening. This is the second case where like they've sent these guys on a mission, but then there's like a crime in progress that's right. already been set up. So the chapter ends again with Isbisa talking some smack. Poor wizard. By now, his speedy feet and slow brain must be keeping him very busy indeed. (laughs) 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 And then then we're on the human torch. (laughs) Yeah, we are. Chapter four, the steel. Oh, I guess. What did you think of the? It's really stupid, but I liked it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's the best best thing I could say. But what about yourself? Eh, Same. Yeah, it was fun. So next up, we have the steel age, which features human torch without Toro. I wonder if that'll come into play. Uh, without Toro, the Human Torch is like a man who has lost his right hand. But before his assignment is over, the Torch will have worked with a new partner to crack open a new racket of the Steel Age. And so the third, the third clue is that right? Yep, third Chapter clue. Four, third clue. Uh, Human Torch watched the manhole cover at Eighty Sixth Street and Sully Avenue at five p.m. and learned the secret of the Steel Age. So uh, Torch even talks about, like, it feels funny going on a case without the kid. But then what does he do the very next panel? (laughs) Uh, Oh, yeah. Uh, The time and the spot. Hey, Toro. Oh, I forgot. The kid isn't here. (laughs) (laughs) He's, like, talking over things with him has got to be a habit. You know, like, I love that. It's like he literally just says that he's not (laughs) there. And then he's like, hey, but oh, oh." yeah, (laughs) this is so sad. (laughs) Yeah. The this intersection at uh, 86th and Sully, I I looked up 86th and Sully and I couldn't find anything. Uh, I was hoping that there would be like a little corner in, in New York with you know, a big giant iron building yeah. or something. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> so the torch is on a rooftop. He's o- overlooking this this uh, intersection and he sees three men climbing into a manhole. Insert your own joke there. He wonders, could this be what Isbisa meant? Yes, Torch. This is this is what you're meant to be here for. <laughs> he does have Toro to bounce things off yeah, of, right? right. He's, he's doing the best he can. <laughs> uh, so he follows the men uh, into what appears to be like an under. It's like this underground. I guess it's the sewer, but it's like a building. So it's a it's a room underneath a bank. And so Torch leaps into action, giving them giving them various you know fire related takedowns. He has, he's got him like wrapped up in a fiery ring, which makes his heart sing. 
Past me was writing down jokes. <laughs> so suddenly one of the goons drops his pistol and a shot goes off. As it falls through Torch's fire, it goes off. The shot hits a cable which supports this heavy lighting fixture from above. It lands on the torch, knocking him out. That is a series of unfortunate events. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so when Torch is semi-conscious, he sees what seems to be an illusion, uh, a slip of a girl entering and tossing the killer over her shoulder. So the goons all uh, flee, and Torch wakes up and asks the lady where she learned judo. So she explains that it was part of her training as what you'd call a lady copper, a policewoman. Listen, this comic has gone way too far now. A woman, a girl <laughs> doing judo. Somebody get Wortham on the phone right now. We could do that, right? Oh, don't worry. She explains that she has a detective fiance who wants her to get out of law enforcement and settle down with him. And she just wants one big case solved before she retires. So, <laughs> okay, you know, okay. So don't worry. She's just trying to get a man. The, whew, that was a close one, Travis. <laughs> right. Uh, so she asks if she can work with the torch on this one and then take the credit for, for the case, basically. Uh, he agrees. And uh, we find out her name is Bobby Lee in a caption box, but we've made it this far, you know, <laughs> without knowing her name because she's a woman. With a man's name. <laughs> yeah. It's just they didn't name her earlier. It's just weird. It's like they forgot. and They just threw it in there. Yeah. So they start their investigation by wondering why a bank would have a secret entrance. So they figure it must have been built by some crooked assistant to the architect. And so they visit the architect, James Floor, who, upon being questioned, admits that he was the one responsible for the secret passage, just as uh, goons show up and grab Torch and uh, an old what's-her-name. And so the designer has this huge wind tunnel for testing his designs. Like, he puts miniature buildings inside this wind tunnel, I guess. They're thrown in there, so they'll be you know sliced into ribbons. And as they're being pulled into the giant blades of the wind tunnel, Torch has an idea. And so he chucks this lady's shoes into the fan and there's a diagram. <laughs> yeah, I love this. <laughs> How the tossing of the shoes aid in their escape. The caption says, chopped by the blades, pieces of the shoe continue on down to the control motor. For a few precious moments, the motor falters. The blades slow down. And then Torch is able to fly out of there. He flames on, burns, burns a hole through the... Oh, that's why he couldn't flame on is because of the wind. wind but yeah. once the blades, I guess, slow down enough, he can flame on and long enough to burn a hole through the side of this wind tunnel, allowing them to escape. It makes no sense. Even the diagram does not make sense. <laughs> no, and doesn't, is, doesn't like oxygen help? you know, burn, you know, like, like I, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it's just so powerful. Yeah. It's just blowing it that's, out. You that's can never, yeah, that, I think that's what we're supposed to yeah. do. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so they, uh, they presume that floor is heading to the next, uh, building that he designed, uh, some like a jewel exchange and they catch up to him. They have a scrap floor makes off towards the subway tunnel is presumably going to run headfirst into a train rather than go to jail. Torch uses a fireball to cover the green light, making the driver of the train think that it's a red light, and, and he begins to slow the train. <laughs> He's able to stop the train fast enough, you know, Torch socks floor on the jaw. He tells that nice lady that she can get credit for breaking the case and finally get married, since that's her main goal in life and, you know, her real purpose. Thank goodness. <laughs> 
and then again uh, ends with uh, well, it ends with a kiss. It does end with a kiss. <laughs> is this a kissing book? And tell me that it's going to be a kissing book. <laughs> so Isbisa says, "Ah, perfect. Now everything is ready. Soon, Isbisa, you will be on the move." So mm-hmm. this is I think the first time that Isbisa is referred to, even though right above it it says. Is Bisa is at work? Well, he's talking. You know, he likes talking to third person. So, oh yeah, I guess I guess that's probably what it is. <laughs> is Bisa on the move? I think was the sequel to Is Bisa the original, the motion picture. <laughs> so, what do you what do you think? Uh, I like Bobby Lee. I like you know some of them adventuring together. For the most part, I think it's the the wind tunnel thing really really <laughs> bugged me. It's a bit much. Yeah. I like Bobby Lee too. She she's judo chopping all over the place. Yeah. Like, but they they make her very competent. I mean, oh, we're yeah, we're, yeah. we're poking fun at the you know, the the whole, you know, yeah. story, but she she's actually a pretty competent character, you know, and and she's a good uh Oh yeah, I yeah. yeah I, I like her. I mean, it's you could easily see her being a recurring character if she I stayed hope a she police is. woman. Yeah. yeah. Probably not. They've got Betty Dean already. <laughs> There's no room for two women. In- I'm telling you, you're getting out of control here. All right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> she's, she's crazy talk. Well, <laughs> <laughs> it's come over me. A couple of things I liked about this, though. Uh, I mean, I would say for myself, I like the torch. I actually really like this version of torch, yeah. you know, but I don't really like a lot of his stories. I think they're always yeah. a little silly and or. Um, it's just me. I, I don't know. I just, I, I can't get into him as much, but I sure. did like when they throw him in the wind tunnel because he got hit in the head. <laughs> he's an android, right? Well. <laughs> and he's complaining of a headache. And I'm like, all I could think of was the Simpsons where he's like, why? Why was I made to feel pain? You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, why did, would they do that? You know? Yeah. I, I firmly believe that everyone has forgotten that Jim Hammond is an android. Because it's all it's all but forgotten, you know. Right. They, they don't write him as a as a artificial being. Yeah. No, he was after a lady last time. You know, like mm. legit, like going to hook up. This is always, you know, not a, a robot. Yeah. But we're on to the Stone Age, Chapter Five, Miss America. I notice here just right off the bat, if you notice Miss America, I, I forgot to bring her up earlier. She's not wearing that like like skin cap, like football helmet, like old leather football cap that, that uh, from the the last episode oh, right, we did. Yeah. It's basically her hair. She's also not wearing shoes. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> that is true. She probably had to throw them at a fan. That's to get right. Away. <laughs> but also on the cover, she's got full length red pants. So I'm wondering if they miscolored. Yeah, because in, in the very beginning, it looks like she has no, it looks like she's wearing shorts. Yeah, but then when you go down later, she's got pants on. Oh, okay. Yeah, and yeah, and yeah, her yeah. and her feet are red. So. Okay, and she's got stockings on under her skirt. So yeah, you've heard of people with hearts of stone, but here is a tale of people who are all stone. Yes, live, vital, warm people turn into cold, emotionless rock. Why? How? Those are questions Miss America must answer before she can solve the case suggested by the Stone Age. And we get this really kind of crazy looking chiseler, you know, and he's mm-hmm. got a he's got a really cool like stone statue of Miss America in yeah. a in a coffin. It's actually pretty cool. I, I, I like dig it. his look. He's super sinister. Yeah. You know. <laughs> he's wearing another robe though. Yeah. You can see his face though. Yeah. Um sorry. So the fourth clue, Miss America, the chief of police of the town of Millstone, 
may provide a surprise and a byproduct of the Stone Age SB. So it wasn't that dramatic. So basically, Miss America, a.k.a. America's girlfriend, uh, <laughs> she heads over to uh, the home of the Millstone's chief of police, where Mrs. Uh, chief of police, you know, basically lets in this strange young lady into her home. But she knows who she is. She's Miss America. So everyone knows. Right, of course. You know, everybody's favorite uh, superhero. They find the chief hard at work at his desk, but he's turned to stone. And a note was left behind. My secret solution is turn your husband to stone, but I can restore him to life for 10 1,000 bills. <laughs> Otherwise, he will remain his own gravestone, the Calcium Master. Ooh, so we have a supervillain. Yes, we do. He's got his own name. He's no, it's no kangaroo man. Yeah. I so wanted, when it said bills, I was like, $1,000 billion. I was so wanted <laughs> yeah. that. I'm like, oh, it was actually the way it's written. I had to like reread it a couple of times. Mm-hmm. It's 10 $1,000 bills is what I think he wants. Yeah. So he wants $10,000. Right. But it was just weird. Right. There is a reason behind yeah. it. So. Yeah, there is. Now, now. Miss America has heard about people with high calcium becoming petrified and wonders if the calcium man has found a way to speed up this process. And I had to look this up. Man. I, I uh-huh. usually blow this stuff up. I yeah, leave yeah. that to you to look up, you know, <laughs> but I was like, okay, so calf- calcification or ossification of the auricle, which your ear, a petrified ear, basically, mm-hmm. is a rare diagnosis in dermatology. In medical literature, it is most often been attributed to trauma, hypothermia, frostbite, or hyperglycemia secondary to metabolic or endocrine disorders such as Addison's disease. Hmm. So super rare, and you got to have some sort of trauma and or super rare disease. And it only affects your ear, though? Right. It's like calcified ear. Most people just get hyperglycemia. It's a condition in which calcium levels in your body is... So basically, if you got too much... This is what I... I was like, I'm looking at my notes. It doesn't make sense. So she says about people with high calcium, you don't get turn to stone. You don't even get petrified ear. You just get hyperglycemia. <laughs> so, you know, go get your calcium levels checked, everybody. Yeah. But it, it can, uh, basically what it does is it makes the calcium in your blood go above normal levels and can cause weakness in your bones, kidney stones, and it may interfere with how your heart and brain work. So pay attention to your calcium, everybody, but drink yeah. your milk, you know? <laughs> so I was like, okay, this is, so they're just doing some pseudoscience here, yeah, yeah. you know? Basically, the reason that they want the ten one thousand dollar bills is because they are going to get collect the money via homing pigeon, mm-hmm. and it's they got the little tube in it which is small enough, you know, for for you know for them to carry, you know, you know. So there you go. Well, Miss America can fly, so she follows after them, right? But along the way, I guess the the crooks are waiting for her. You know, right. Kelsey Man uh, has some thugs. I said, man, but master, he's a master. Damn it. She basically, you know, like they're shooting at her and she comes down, she beats them up. No big deal. But somebody hits her in a rock. That'll rock her to sleep and they freaking clock her right in the head. Now, yeah. granted, she almost got shot in, in the cover of the other thing. And so right. we're assuming she's bulletproof, but this rock knocks her out. Okay. Mrs. Chief of Police. Is there a Mrs. Chief of Police? <laughs> well, there is. And she sends <laughs> cops after Miss America because she hasn't returned. So anyways, the cops find her turned to stone. No, that's too bad. Yeah, she must not have checked her calcium level like I suggested. (laughs) So this is the end of Miss America. It's sort of hard to believe. Goodbye, Miss America. The world won't forget you so easily. You were a great little crime fighter. Seems a little condescending. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, okay. And also, like, 
I don't know how many people remember Miss America, so like I don't know if he's accurate about that either. Mm. So all right, cut to Kelsey and Man's Cave. Ah, she's there. <laughs> the guy looks like Guy Fox. Yeah, kinda. Yeah, at least in this one. He looks more sinister on the cover. Or, you know, not the cover, but you know what I mean. The- yeah. So it turns out he's a very talented but disgruntled sculptor, which has driven him mad. So what he does, he's got this whole scheme. He kidnaps people. And then he puts a fake statue in their place. <laughs> so he's like, and I've turned you to calcium. So it's basically a con. He's a mm-hmm. con man. But he leaves Miss America and somehow she frees herself. Oh, using the grindstone. Yeah. So, yeah, she uses that. And then she punches him in the face, basically. <laughs> so he says, yeah, she's loose. And she says, so are the teeth in your jaw. Oh, yeah. So she's she's feisty. Oh, I like yeah. her. I do, too. She's got moxie. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Yeah, he's, he's gonna, this kid's going to go somewhere. Oh, the, she knocks him loose, or she knocks his teeth loose, but then, like, he's near some rocks or something, and he, like, loses his footing, and he just falls to his death. Yeah. So what I do like is, stones were his life, and in death he'll never be far from one, for always over him will be a tombstone. <laughs> so, that's the end of him. That's the end of her story. We wrap it up with another interlude by Isbisa. I wonder how that stupid sculptor made out with Miss America. No matter, nothing will matter soon. <laughs> He's not ha haing anymore. He's haing. <laughs> and we're on to uh, a team up. Yeah. Catch up with uh, Submariner and Chapter 6, The Ice Age. It says, wrongly accused of conspiracy with his visa. Submariner's hair trigger temper explodes and he strides off a lonely, angry figure. But Toro is soon at his side. And though there is misunderstanding, it is the odd team of Submariner and Toro which investigates the cold-blooded racket suggested by the Ice Age. And we get the fifth clue. Submariner, if you go north to the Bering Sea, to the major Eskimo trading post, you will learn a secret of the Ice Age. <laughs> Before I really got into it, I did have to look up, is Eskimo, I think it's an offensive term, and I confirmed that it is. This is via NPR.org. People in many parts of the Arctic consider Eskimo a derogatory term because it was widely used by racist, non-native colonizers. Many people also thought it meant eater of raw meat, which hmm. connoted barbarism and violence. So we see Toro, he's he's running after Submariner. I would assume this takes place like immediately after he's left the, the group, so... This is kind of a, a step back in time, if you will. Yeah, because if you look, it looks like there's like uh, col- columns. Like, yeah. So I would imagine it's the museum, the steps yeah, of the right. museum. Okay, right. good, good. I didn't make that connection at first. Okay, cool. So they've been running around together since then. Namor says, I don't want your sympathy. Besides, I'm a solo sleuth. Stick with your own partner. So he, he tells Toro to kick rocks, basically. And uh, Namor accuses Toro of being a spy sent by Human Torch. But he lets him tag along anyways, because why not? <laughs> but yeah, I like he calls him. He keeps calling him like kid spy, I think, throughout this a couple times. I had a note of that. And I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they catch up to a skirmish between some men on snowmobiles and some fur traders. And the gunfire causes a, a snowvalanche. Uh, which which Toro is able to divert with his heat, sending the melted ice back into the sea. So kind of a cool little display of uh, power that, yeah, it's a good thing that you had a, a flaming kid there. <laughs> and uh, the Namor gets cracked upside the head in the battle. 
when it comes to the the Inuits are praising Toro for his firepower and uh, oh the, uh, Namor he kind of negs Toro a little bit by saying Toro saved his life so that he could keep spying on him nice going kid yeah <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so they find some whale oil. Uh, by the snowmobile tracks, which leads them uh, to a whaling ship out in the water. Uh, captain of the ship is a, he's a salty sea dog. He's called uh, Black Patch, who says, who know a whaling ship is the hideout for a fur hijacking mob? Yes, sir. Is Bisa's too smart for the law? And uh, so no- Namor and Toro, they bust up the celebrating. Uh, Namor quickly begins to feel weak and realizes it's because Toro standing too close which you know on one hand I like that Toro is is basically evaporating the moisture in uh in Namor but Namor's also fought the human torch like and was fine <laughs> so the the pirate manages to uh disable Toro with an explosive tipped harpoon blasting him out of the sky and sends him into the drink and Namor pretends that he's too weak and, and would drown if they tossed him overboard. So naturally, they toss him in the water, uh, where, which revives him. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he rescues Toro, who's under underwater, and realizes that they're on the same team. And so the pirates, they spot a whale off in the distance. And so Namor comes up with a plan. He swims for the whale and then sort of steers the whale towards the boat. Toro's even using his flame to kind of help shepherd the whale towards the boat. They ram the boat and Namor jumps onto the deck and he and, and Toro make, you know, make short work of the, of the pirates. So I really like that riding a, a whale into battle. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then Namor and Toro kind of come to an understanding. They shake hands and we see uh, once again, Isbisa claiming that it's, uh, it's ready at last. What's ready? We'll find out. What did you think of this one? I liked it. I like the dynamic between Toro and Namor. I think it's yeah. I think it's a good use of the the fact that they're it's a team up, so they put a little bit different dynamic together. They don't right. do much. It's really just this. Yeah, it always feels like Toro just is Namor's like sidekick because they dress the same. <laughs> oh my! It's maybe that's where they got it too. Because I'm like, why does he dress just like him when he's? Yeah. <laughs> and why does this kid? Anybody give this kid like a shirt? You know, <laughs> just, like yeah. So uh, chapter seven, the conclusion. Their assignments complete. The all winners convene to tell each other of their their adventures. Meanwhile, in the Hall of Justice, oh, it's totally it. It's it's basically <laughs> an Avengers. Um, you know, it's it's like they're all sitting at the table, right? Yeah. You know, Cap's the chairman. Mm-hmm. I like that he kind of just naturally is the leader without it ever really being expressed sure. that they're like a team or that he's a lead. he's the one taking charge. Yeah, that's true. So you know, I think they know yeah. what they're doing here. Well, it turns out that each crook basically sang, you know, to, mm-hmm. to the, the heroes individually, right? So East Beast basically a year ago approached them and said, here's plans for a heist. But they didn't tell him that he was also going to send like some superheroes after him, basically. Yeah. And he says that he wants uh, 25% of the loot. So whatever all these various crimes were going to bring yeah, in. Yeah, going to bring in. Yeah. But you yeah. Know, that was the thing. They didn't expect the all winners to show up. And I, is this the part where... I think Torch, Torch apologizes. Yeah. 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 So is either Torch or Miss America. I can't remember. I guess it's Torch actually he writes down, you know, mm-hmm. he spells out Isbisa and he writes it out. Ice Age, Stone, Bronze, Iron, Steel. And he's like, Jumping whoa. Fireballs. Yeah. <laughs> and he, but, but, you know, again, a little, you know, little leap of logic. And he goes, 
And if you add an A, <laughs> then that, you know, that, that, you know, a neighbor notes that the A must be for the age of the, you know, the atomic age, yeah. you know, age of the future, I should say, the atomic age. Uh, little do they know they're basically in the atomic age right now. <laughs> um, but again, I, I keep going to the whole Batman 66 thing where, you know, Cap's like, well, then this was all a red herring. You know, yeah. East Beast is going to go st- steal an atomic bomb. <laughs> really like you just know that that's what he's gonna do okay yeah you know but and basically miss america being a little sassy as she is knows that they all dealt with their challenges faster than each piece <laughs> expected so they have to you know work together to stop them right what do you guys so he's piece what he's um he's he's, he's his hideout is like it's an egg it's like this big yeah con- it's like a concrete hot air balloon is what it looks like yeah i was trying to think it was like you're right because like the the it's like a building would have been like the basket and then it's yeah. like this big giant like yeah dome but it's got like a ladder on the outside but mm-hmm. the, so I, I, they call it the atom smasher vacuum tube so it's yeah. some some facility that's meant to house like an atomic yeah. particle accelerator yeah. or it's, some crap it's like a that. hadron yeah. collider probably yeah right right Anyway, so yeah, they they basically Isbisa has his own sleeping gas that he uses, mm-hmm. and so they deduce just by looking in the window that all the occupants <laughs> must have been gassed, and they can't go in, or they will suffer the same fate. Luckily, Torch and Toro cause a chemical reaction to basically superheat the gas and burn it out. I like that, and that's smart. Um, Wizard's gonna, you know, Cap's like, oh, you know, he's he, he slammed the door. <laughs> so they're stopped by they're stopped by his uh, door, you know. Yep. But uh, Cap instructs Wizard to basically whiz on the door, and he does, and he does, <laughs> and he breaks right through mm-hmm. uh, with his powerful whizzing. <laughs> and, it's a great uh, shot of Cap, like posed. He's his legs are kind of spread. He's holding the shield back on his left side, and he's pointing, you know, forward with his right hand and mm-hmm. telling, you know, Wizard, like basically calling the shots. So it's a nice. Again, just very cap, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. And of course he does, you know, with wizard, you know, knocking open the door for him though, mm-hmm. him and Bucky are on their way up, uh, up the, uh, up the, I guess to the heart, the oh, that's heart right. of the great tube. They this call is it. what made me, made it feel like a, the Hadron Collider is just kind of this vacuum tube. Yeah. They're, they're all climbing up at it after East Bisa basically. Yeah. And he gets out, uh, he gets out on those like, you know, like gangplank type, like, you know, walk, uh, I guess it's like a, a ledge or something on yeah. the outside of it and he starts climbing up a ladder to the top but miss america's there and uh she she flies right up and she's like hey you're <laughs> late for our date basically or you know what did she say something about that yeah you, uh, you like and that. i have a date <laughs> and she punches him just punches him right off sends him out into the water yeah you're going for a dunk in the river well, yeah, there happens to be a river right next to it so he can safely yeah. land in there and soaping sock soaping wet he basically falls right near a boat <laughs> a boat that he planted there i think i think so yeah because he said his rubber suit kept him afloat and now mm. he can get away but well, you forget we have a team member who has water-based power so right. of course there has to be a river nearby and he's able to he's able to lift the boat right up because you know that's what he does so yeah and then he falls into the water and they basically you know later let's see who you are we basically get a scooby-doo ending right yep. a couple <laughs> so, of the yeah yeah, yeah, you're right. A couple of these have done this. A, yeah. <laughs> so it was none other than Meek, the museum curator. And he would have gotten away with it, too, if it wasn't for these, uh, you know, pesky all-star yeah. all-winter squad. <laughs> he was tired of just being bullied or more or less. Yeah, and, being the secretary or whatever. 
And he goes, he goes, yes, Meek, but you, for you, I might have been dictator of the world. So he, he was just going to take over, but, yeah. and we get a nice little yeah, cap speech, right? Yeah. Dictators. We've had enough of them. Atomic power must be used for peace, not wars. It must be used, used to make life better for all people. The coming atomic age is not for one man. It is for the common man, for all mankind. The end. <laughs> oh, it's like a Loki saying a warm light for, uh, you know, oh, a yeah. warm, warm glow for all mankind or something like yeah. that. No, but it's good. He, you know, he's basically saying, look, yes, we have atomic energy now. Yeah. We're not going to, we don't want like crazy dictators like you to have it. Well, we can use it for good, you know, like. Yeah. Everybody can, you know, have power now and stuff like that, you know. Right. That's kind of what he's getting at, you know. So it's it's nice. It's a Never good sign. The fact that the one nuclear you know, weapon that's been used twice was by us. <laughs> so don't worry about that. We're, we, it, it's all for peace now. Right. Yeah. Piece of so. that, a piece of that. <laughs> piece over here, piece over here. So uh, what, are you, what are your thoughts on the the overall um story you know like because it's I, it's it's a one complete story and one issue that yeah. we don't normally get that you know right you know some of the individual parts were silly but i enjoyed the overall journey i really liked this final chapter because everyone got to do something that was unique to their powers i mean sure it required there to be water nearby, you know, for, for Namor to, to be effective. But I like, yeah, that everyone had a, had a part to play. Yeah, I will agree with that. And again, I did not expect it to be so much solo action, you know, right. I thought it was going to be the team altogether. Yeah. But you know what I want, what I expected, what I got are two different things. And that doesn't mean I'm unhappy with it. I actually like this story. I like how it's framed. They team up together, sort of right in the beginning. Hey, we're meeting. Hey, we're all here. But then they get individual assignments. We can have a variety of different stories. They only really play with the team, you know, a different dynamic once. And that's with Toro and Namor, but I liked it. And then, you know, everybody gets a little bit of time to have a little bit of a spotlight. And then, as you said, like it concludes again, it comes back together. Oh, well, let's get back together. Let's talk about it. And they all get to work together, even though it's a little silly, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. and, and, you know, and honestly, um, Isbisa is not the greatest villain in the no. world, but no. I've, I forgot to make a note of it, but he does come back like, oh, really? Yeah. He, I, I wish I could remember when, where, how, Okay. but he comes back. I wonder if it's Meek or a, like a new character. Hmm. Because Meek doesn't seem like a, yeah. you know, like it's Bisa sounds like a smart dude. Meek doesn't seem like somebody you would think would be terrorizing the world. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. He does come back. So. Right on. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm much more satisfied with all winners 19. Yeah. Than I was with all winners number one, <laughs> oh, where man. we didn't really get anything from that. So. Yeah. At the time when we first picked this book, we hadn't decided to do the uh, the Miss America origin. So when we got to her in this story, I was like, "What's uh, what's her deal?" So I did a little digging on her. Her powers include flight, superhuman strength. It says the strength of a thousand men. I did. I forgot that that detail was said somewhere along the line. Uh, durability and stamina. But then we've we've seen her use X-ray vision and then the wisdom, like that that sort of thing. She went on to marry uh, the wizard, Robert Frank. 
Mm-hmm. And then he, you, you kind of already talked about his origin a little bit, but he's the son of a noted scientist, Dr. Emil Frank. While on expedition in the Cameroon with his father, Robert was bitten by a cobra. A mongoose subsequently appeared and killed the cobra, but itself was severely wounded in the fray. So Dr. Frank, fearing for his son's life, uh, recalled an old wives' tale and injected the mongoose's blood into his son's veins. Uh, Dr. Frank died of a heart attack brought upon uh, by the shock and exertion, but Robert recovered and found that due to the strange reaction of his apparently mutant physiology to the mongoose blood, he had developed the ability to move at superhuman speed. That was probably slightly retconned to make him a mutant because obviously they weren't throwing the word mutant around back then. And as they went on, they didn't want to say that he got it from mongoose blood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, his powers are hyperspeed, which is about a hundred miles per hour and enhanced reaction time. Except for when he slips and hits himself. <laughs> right. Onto, yeah. Um, and then jumping like way kind of in, in the future in the crazy, you know, Marvel timeline. So these two were once the parents of, uh, Wanda and Pietro Maximoff. Oh, I don't think I came across that. Okay. Yeah. So in in Giant Size Avengers number one from May of 1974, Madeline and Robert went to stay in Wondagore with the high, high evolutionary where she gave birth to twins. And she actually gave birth to triplets, but the third child was so radioactive that she died giving birth to a stillborn child. And it was obviously retconned later that they weren't the parents of Wanda and Pietro uh, that Magneto is, but even that has now been retconned. So currently their parents are uh, Django and Magda Maximoff. So whoever they are. But uh, yeah, I just thought it was interesting that uh, at one point. (laughs) I'm sorry. I I do not agree with that. (laughs) It's still Magneto. But. (laughs) I will say, I actually think that's pretty neat yeah. that it was originally the Wizard and Miss America. It doesn't really explain Wanda's powers, but it does explain Pietro's. Yeah. I could see why they were going down that path. Right. I, I said we I said we push to bring it back. You know, <laughs> let's retcon the retcon the oh, retcon. Yeah. yeah. Let's do it. All right. Marvel's like, we didn't agree to any of this. We did not <laughs> agree for you to write stories. <laughs> we're idea men. Yeah. Yeah, we are. <laughs> Should we move on to Submariner Comics number 16? Let's do it. Uh, This one is from March 8th, 1945. Like on the cover, it's just another generic kind of giant, a giant Namor flipping over a boat full of soldiers, you know. They do that a lot. Yeah. Why yeah. is that? I, I mean, I like know. it, but it's so weird because he's not a giant man. I know. I, I don't get it. I mean, I get what they're saying. Like, oh, he's he's more than, you know, he, he's strong enough to take on a whole army by himself or whatever. But yeah, they're they're obsessed with drawing it as if he's yeah a giant. I don't know. We're going to do the story, uh, The Black Demon of Death, and it's pencils by Alan Simon Ink by Gustav Schroeter. And Alan hmm. Simon was penciler and inker for Timely, Gilbertson Publications, and EC Comics. His date of birth is unknown. And he penciled, it looks like, like 56 books and inked 33 over the course of his time with Timely. And Gustav Gus 
Schroeter was born in 1901 in Vienna, Austria. He died in 1971, but he worked for Timely and Gilbertson Publications as a penciler and inker, working on nearly 40 books while he was at Timely. Those are names that are not familiar. Yeah, yeah. And and not, you know, massive amounts of work spread out over their time. I, I, I kind of looked and they they worked on, you know, Captain America, Allied, USA Comic, just everything. So they were spread out. The cover page to the story is uh, Namor, like, giving a right hook to this another cloaked, you know, (laughs) it looks like a Nazi vampire. Like, he's wearing the swastika, but he looks like he's got fangs. He's got a dagger. And it says, uh, Disappearance of the Doomed Men. Death for any who dare oppose the diabolical plot. The black demon spreads a scourge of panic and terror. Submariner faces a deadly foe as he pits himself against the Black Death. I'm going to kind of probably go through this pretty quick. It's a fun enough story, but you see the the twist coming. And you didn't read this one, right? That's correct. Okay. So it starts with uh, a George Allen and his ace test pilot landing one of Allen's new seaplanes. And there are some Nazis in a speedboat waiting for them to land in the water. The Nazis are led by a a figure in a black cloak, the black demon. Uh, They quickly start firing at them once they've landed and they kill the pilot and they take George Allen as a prisoner. So then next we go to an office. There's an airplane parts maker, Thomas Carter, and he's conversing with engineer Kenneth Brown, uh, whether they'll see each other at a birthday party later that evening. And Carter says he can't make it. So Brown says goodbye. And not long after, Carter is kidnapped by the, the Black Demon, uh, along with some goons. And then we finally catch up to Namor, who is attending a birthday party this birthday party that they were talking about for a John Dilling. And guess what kind of engine parts Dilling makes? John Dilling makes uh, airplane parts. Who would have thought? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Sensing a theme here. So again, uh, Kenneth Brown from the last page, he runs in, announces that both Alan and Carter have disappeared. And Namor figures that with both men building uh, planes for the military, it's no coincidence. What with all the excitement, Brown leaves, uh, he, he's going home to, to rest. So then a few minutes later, the Black Demon of Death enters the party, guns a-blazing, and they kill several partygoers. Namor leaps into action, he fights the Nazis, they, uh, they tumble over a balcony and into the salty sea. And Namor is, uh, you know, he's in the water, so he's full on. And he just tears through the goons pretty quick, and he even smashes two of them with a, with a boulder. So that's a pretty good panel. Um, the, the Phantom Menace, he gets away. So Namor, he finds a note on one of the dead men's pockets that reads, Tonight, Thomas Grant. So uh, Namor is like, of the uh, the Grant Parachute Factory, of course. And so he returns to the house at, uh, where the party was being held and finds out that all but three party guests have been killed. And there's like bodies all over the place. It's pretty graphic. You yeah, know? yeah. And so, yeah, they've also taken uh, John Dilling. And so next, Namor phones up his old pal, Betty Dean, who's now a reporter. I think she was a a policewoman, a lady cop last time, I I think. A lady copper. (laughs) Yeah. So he asks her if she knows where Thomas Grant can be found. And she tells him she's seen him several times at the playboat. And uh, the playboat? The playboat, yeah. Playboat mansion? I think it's like a a dinner club on a boat. Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, it says playboat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought it was Hugh Hefner's boat. <laughs> right. So Betty says that she'll meet him there in half an hour. And this made me laugh. So they meet each other there. Namor is in his, you know, speedos and they sit down at the table. It looks like Namor has a menu. <laughs> Just you're, you're on an investigation. Like, why are you sitting down to order club sandwiches? But they see Grant and uh, Kenneth Brown, who I thought was going home to bed because I'm pretty sure this is all still the same day, the same night. There has not yet been like tomorrow or, you know, the next, the next day. So I think the writers just uh, lost track of time on this one. <laughs> Anyways, they join Grant and Brown and they discuss the abductions, the recent abductions. And Kenneth Brown uh, mentions how scared he is since he's escaped kidnapping uh, twice already. And there's a phone call for Grant. So he goes off to take it. Uh, Namor suspects a trap and he tells Betty that he's going to go check it out and that she'll be okay because she's wearing his, uh, the good luck locket that Namor gave her. So, well, 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 Mr. McKenzie must be sweet on Betty Dean. <laughs> I guess so. Uh, no surprise. The, uh, the black demon of death is there waiting uh, for Grant to take this phone call and Namor whips a lifeboat at him <laughs> and, and the, the, uh, the goon squad. So they fight. The demon cracks Namor over the back of the head and sends him overboard. The demon goes aside. He takes Betty. She's going to be a bait for the, the fish man. And so, of course, Namor is revived because he's in the water and he manages to catch the speedboat that is escaping with uh, Grant. This is actually really cool. He grabs the boat and he just drags it under the water. Yeah. <laughs> and then he punches a hole in it so that the, the Nazis, they can't get back in the boat and they're even like, help, we'll drown. I can't swim. And uh, Namor grabs uh, Grant. They go back to the boat. Uh, Namor finds Betty's locket with a note inside that reads, I'm going to Rock Crest Island. Join me, Betty. And he quickly determines that this isn't Betty's handwriting and it'll be a trap that he's walking into. So he springs the trap and he uh, gets to the island. It's uninhabited and he goes into this cave and just rushes right in. He fights some Nazis. Uh, it's a good like couple pages of, of him just swatting down these goons. He grabs a boulder and sma like literally smashes two or three of them on the ground. Yeah. I just, it's, <laughs> it's pretty awesome. It's again, it's pretty graphic. It's yeah. like wham. And then it's like, they even put like this so kind of like sparkle type thing. So it's like, it, it could be just, blood or it could just be like, yeah, the, the impact. The force. Yeah. Of, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go with blood. <laughs> yeah. So I, I like that. But he, you know, catches the black demon with a right hook, which causes the ma his mask to kind of come loose. And wouldn't you know it, it's old man Kenneth Brown, who would have gotten what? away with it. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> My jaw's on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, Namor, uh, I don't think there's even, he doesn't talk about, like, why he was doing it. He's just another saboteur, you know. So he rescues all the... The prisoners, all the various airplane people, they've just been in the cave. They were going to be tortured for secrets. And uh, so he gets them and gets Betty and makes a raft out of some driftwood and tows them all home. What did he say? It's a pleasure to sock the Nazis. <laughs> yeah. Or the Axis. The Axis, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's happy to punch them all. Uh-huh. It's not the best Namor story. There's some fun action. Uh, I think it's really interesting to see Namor interacting with civilization. 
Yeah, he was you like know? in a suit at the at birthday yeah. party. Yeah. yeah, so you don't usually see him dressed yeah. up. It seems like it's pretty standard stuff, though, as yeah. far as like, here's some Nazis and we're going to, you know. So I, I don't know if he's ever like, he basically fought the Nazis, but it, it doesn't seem like he's like over on an island in you know Overseas, Japan. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like I'm I'm island hopping with the Marines over there in, in the Pacific. So. Yeah, Theater. you'd think yeah. there would be some Pacific adventures, especially given how many Japanese boats he's flipping over on these covers. Yeah. Actually, that would be a fun thing to be like while Cap and Bucky mm-hmm. and you yeah. know the destroyer and others were over in, in the European theater, like he could have been like in the Pacific theater island hopping and, right. and there was, you know, a lot of the naval battles there. Yeah, that would be a, a an interesting story. Mm-hmm. We should probably write it. <laughs> you hear that, Marvel? Let us write a name or story about World War II. <laughs> should I just kill this bit now? I keep doing it. <laughs> um, the art's not bad. It's uh, yeah. I, the, the the damn triangle head of uh, Namor, though. Oh, it's just, it's I don't worst. know. Yeah, it, it, it drives me nuts. But <laughs> It's so exaggerated. It just... He looks, it almost looks like he's Hammerhead, the, the Spider-Man villain, but. Oh, yeah. You know, with just this exaggerated. Only less top. natural. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's very alien. Yeah. I guess he's not human, you know, he's. I don't know. It's weird. It's, it's, it's a choice. It's definitely a choice that mm-hmm. at some point, yeah, it, that's the model. Least, yeah. You know, I'm glad it goes away and he gets right. more normal head, you know, once, <laughs> you know, Jack Kirby gets a hold of him, but <laughs> yeah, know, it's, it's, it's a bit much. Should we move on? Yeah, let's do it. What do we got up next? Human next Torch is yeah, Human Torch sixteen. You were going to bring up and we were going to do another one, right? Yeah, we were <laughs> but... going to do the like the first story in this issue, and then I got to reading it. And let me think. Where do I want to start? <laughs> um, How delicate do you need do yeah, you want to be with this? I'll say that the title of the first story it was called "The Yellow Monkeys of Death." And the story itself, it's about them. Uh, I think they're 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 fighting Japanese. You know, I don't recall exactly what takes place, but it, throughout the issue, there are several racial slurs. Just, I mean, of the time, sure, but it, it it does not hold up today. And I just didn't want to be dancing around that stuff and trying to explain it. When we talked about it, right, and you were like look at the title and i'm like oh jeez and then you're like and you, you know there's a panel where they of course they're calling them that and you're like oh that's even worse you know and i'm like well what if we just don't mention it and you're like it's literally throughout the whole yeah. you know like thing it's like there's no dancing around it. right yeah. which is too bad that it has to go there because uh this is a pretty good transfer and the art's pretty damn good right <laughs> well and that's the thing like i love this art and the story so you know if you find yourself able to to look at this issue you know flip through it and there are some some panels that feel like it's the artist straight out of a fleischer superman cartoons i've never seen jim hammond or or uh toro like rendered quite like this they're expressive it's just a completely different art style from what i've seen really before I, it's just fantastic i think and, and even like the page layouts they have different sort of uh, like whoever's lettering this this issue. They're doing different things with the caption boxes, you know, that are just slightly different, like enlarging certain words. 
Yeah, I, I noticed that how yeah, like like on the pan, like the uh, the boxes, you know, like where it's the the, the dialogue, yeah, not not say, the dialogue, but the actual like yeah, like flaming in big letters, like flaming on to on the duo depart, but flaming is real big, and then the next one's blazing over <laughs> the sleeping city. They head for adventure, you know. So it's just it, it seems like a really fun be a fun way to read the story, but unfortunately, it's uh it's of the time. So flip through it, look at the art. I think the art's really outstanding. I was gonna talk about the the artist of that issue actually, um, who was Jimmy Thompson, George Orlando Thompson. I'll save this information on him because he actually turned out to be pretty fascinating. So I definitely want to talk about him. But since we're not covering that issue and we're already pushing hour forty, we'll uh, we'll move on <laughs> to what we are gonna talk about, which would be the like the second story in this book which is called Sons, Sons of Evil. Evil, yeah. Sons of Anarchy, Sons yeah. of Evil. <laughs> uh, so this one, I guess the, the cover of the comic itself is more Alex Schomburg, and it's fantastic. Like, it's uh-huh. it's busy as hell, but Torch and Toro, they're, like, sweeping over, like, a Tokyo oil refinery, presumably other buildings associated with war effort. And just lay in waste a bunch of it. So it's really, really nice. But here we have, yeah, Sons of Evil. More cloaked people. <laughs> yeah. The woman's kind of in a dress, but right. like the, 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 the evil guy is definitely mm-hmm. another cloak. <laughs> <laughs> With long, nasty fingers and shooting lightning out of his fingers. Lord of Sparkles. Yeah. They're grabbing planes out of the air, you know, obviously... It's a, uh, it's like Namor flipping boats. It's, it's, it's an exaggeration. <laughs> this story was penciled by Al Bellman. Uh, Al was born in June of 1924 and died in 2020, just four years shy of 100. So, oh wow, yeah. Uh, he was primarily a penciler. Uh, he also inked and he worked for Timely and Atlas and is credited on over uh, 132 books in his career. He got some work done. Yeah, I guess so. So, like I said, the cover page you got this big ugly Nazi and this wicked lady Nazi because with some massive eyebrows. Yeah, like, those are some Namor eyebrows. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right about that. <laughs> um, oh yeah. So like I, I kind of talked about like I was, I was bummed that we didn't get to talk about the, the first issue, but then I got to this issue and man, I was wrong. This story is great. Did you read this one? I kind of skimmed it, but okay. I didn't. I didn't take notes. So. Okay. I'm- no, that's that's well, fine. Lead me, lead me through it. <laughs> Happy to. Um, so back in the states, we've got, uh, or I'm sorry, it starts with a uh, pre-flight briefing in like the ops room of an American airfield in England. And so the pilots, they're they're getting their orders, they're in their target. The pilots have uh, they've got some time uh, before they launch, so they decide to go get a coke at Limey's before they fly out. Uh, I don't know if you're waiting to depart on a mission if you get downtime. Mm, it's a lot of hurry up and wait, okay. you know, before a mission. So okay. unless it's like, hey, we're literally like we're bombing out tomorrow. Mm. They Maybe they are giving them so like, go take your affairs, you know, your affairs and all that. But yeah, because like you ever watch Band of Brothers, right? Like they mm-hmm. were all set to do D-Day the day before and then the weather was bad. So oh, they had right. A, and I think they think they literally show the guys like watching a movie that night, but <laughs> they were kind of all just doing it like because yeah. that's what you did. Like, I don't think they had a lot of downtime, but gotcha. I could be wrong. So, yeah, they uh, they go for a for a drink and 
uh, back in the States, we got Toro and, and Torch and they're listening to a newscast about this, the same attack. So slight, you know, jump in time. Um, the, the attack has been carried out and over 600 of the 700 planes in the attack were shot down. And so the phone rings and it's a, it's a general telling Torch to report in and basically they're heading for England. Uh, so they actually, you know, they go overseas. They, they check in with a general Carter who says a small advanced squadron uh, will make a decoy attack on another target to draw protection away from the main target, which is uh, Essen. Yeah. Essen. Yeah. So I should add here that torch in this story looks like he's 16 years old. Like he it's, <laughs> I've never seen an owl, uh, Jim Hammond that looks like a kid, but you know, yeah, he looks like he's only about, I don't know, four years older than, than Toro. Yeah, he does. He's definitely teen, yeah. teen looking. Yeah. They head to this Limey's to meet the pilots who are leaving for, uh, for leaving soon for the main attack. And they, you know, they want to get a feel for the pilots. They want to kind of see what's going on. The captain that they're with tells them all about this place that the Limey's have. And so he's talking, or he's torch is asking about Limey and his sister who run the place. Uh, they, everyone calls him Limey and his sister, Lana, who run the place, uh, the, just kind of asking, you know, who they are, where they're from, whatever. Uh, the pilots, they're being pilots, you know, so loud and, and boisterous and talking about their mission. And so then Lana begins playing uh, like a funeral dirge on the piano for all the Nazis that the, these pilots are about to kill. <laughs> <clears throat> so then uh, Torch decides before they leave that he's going to go make a phone call to uh, British intelligence. And then the planes take off and we see Liney, uh, Lana and Limey. And they're talking about how, how many of the pilots will fail to return. And so Limey, Limey says that, uh, well, they're serving their country. It, it kind of feels sinister. You know, you're not sure what what's up with these two. But at that moment in Berlin, uh, we have some Germans saying, you know, ha, the Yankees flying are, are raiding Essen. Rush anti-aircraft and fighter protection there. We will give them a warm welcome. We're aware that, that the Germans are aware that the the pilots are coming i like the um the way they they draw the like the air raid and the yeah anti-aircraft. it's just even simple of like just showing like these like kind of like crosses in the air you know they're pretty mm. simple but you could tell there's a lot but when they actually show the planes it's it's really it's really well done yeah i think the the art in this is is really uh most of it's pretty realistic a lot of the people look real you know i i'm, I'm really happy with this art the American decoy pilots, they reach the their target with zero opposition, which obviously seems weird. It seems like they should be, you know, running into some some other pilots or anti-aircraft, but there's nothing. So they figure that the Germans have found out about the main attack and that they can't do anything to help with that. So they'll go ahead and drop their ordnance anyway. There's an interesting panel about the Zalbi, not an ACAC gun or a Nazi fighter. So... I guess they call them ack ack guns, you know, machine guns probably. Yeah, pew pew pew. Yeah. Uh, so meanwhile, in Essen, it ter- it turns into a war zone. Uh, the German fighters are hanging out above the clouds and waiting on the planes, and the air anti aircraft guns are waiting on the ground. So Torch and Toro they jump out of their plane, which gets hit, and they just start to take out Nazi fighters, you know, and uh, and 
yeah, they take out several of them. The the bombers are able then to to carry out their their attack. But yeah, there's some good uh, good shots of Torch and Toro kind of flying around and and busting up Nazi fighters. But uh, so they return to the base where Torch has a, a report waiting for him, and they go talk to uh, Limey and his sister. And on the way, they see some pilots getting ready to fly to Berlin. Um, Torch he addresses Limey and Lana as Herr and Fraulein Lukov. And so the jig is up and uh, Limey activates a trap door. That's, you know, he just happens to have. Uh, Into like this huge tunnel. Like. Yeah, yeah. So Torch and Toro, they fall down this pit, you know, that's got water at the bottom. Um, it's a perfect trap for two flaming you know, heroes. Well, not as perfect as a wind tunnel, though. Yeah, we'll see if a lady shoe helps uh, help help them get this <laughs> get out of here. It worked uh, once. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. Oh, yeah. There's a nice little uh, box here that says, "While above them, Fraulein Lukov plays her piano, and every note that ripples from under her her knowing fingers spell death." <laughs> so I then like we the cut. Death. What's that? I like the way they write death. It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I'll be like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they cut to Germany and you've got these two, you know, Nazi like radio operators. And one asks how how it's coming is, is she sending it clearly? We find out that as she plays the piano, it's being uh, broadcast over the radio to this, this whatever channel that that they're able to hear in Berlin. I don't that feels a little iffy to me. But the code that she's sending is is in the is in the notes in the music notes. So kind of kind of a fun little. Actually, yeah, it's kind of. I mean, is it real? Who knows? But it's it's neat, you know, like large fleet U.S. bombers attacking Berlin tonight. Like a dash yeah. dash. Like I, yeah, that's 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 a cool spy thing they, right there. They don't yeah. try to hide the fact that it's going to be these two. You know, they don't. It's pretty obvious from the start, so I like that the twist is kind of the 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 how they're getting the message out. Because there was a a panel early on where someone says, "Well, how are they getting these codes through?" And I think Bucky said, or might be Ca- or might be uh, <laughs> Bucky. Uh, <laughs> I think it might be a Torch that says, "Oh, they're using the radio." And someone says, "Well, no, actually, we've we've monitored all the channels, and they're not. It's not going out through the radio." So I kind of like that it's a it's a fun way to get this yeah. code out. It's different. Yeah. yeah. Um, this this pit of death is is no issue for them because Torch just is able to flame on his hand and he can melt like handholds in the, the concrete <laughs> of the tank and they they climb right out, do a fire ring around the Lukovs, and so right then and there, uh, Lana just lays it all out. She says that uh, we are German. Our parents were spies here during the last war. Uh, they were never caught. And so when Hitler came to, into power, my brother and I carried on our parents' work. Our assignment was to gather flight schedules and send them to, send them to Berlin by code. But then they, they there's, I, I thought it was going to end here, but there is still that last batch of pilots that, that headed out for uh, Berlin. And so they rush out and there's another, you know, panel or another page of some really cool planes in the sky kind of um, art. And uh, yeah, somehow, though, they as they are leaving, Torch says, we'll make better time than the bombers. We may 
uh, maybe we can reverse that death trap. So I, I guess they can fly faster than planes who had a pretty good head start. Um, mm, maybe they're slow because they're bombers. You yeah, know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So they get there first and, and they take out all the guns. Like they're able to um, take out the guns and even like uh, says flaming pair guide their bombardiers to their target. And then, yeah, that's kind of how it ends. So mm-hmm. I, I really like this story. Yeah. I mean, I guess you should have seen like it coming. Like, like you said, just they literally show the pair on the cover as, mm-hmm. <laughs> as Nazis. So yeah, clearly, you know, it's, and even I mean, towards like more... he he's onto them way way too soon, you know. Yeah. For no reason really. He's just suspicious, I guess. I thought it was going to be like the the captain that they first meet once they get over there, so Well, you know, they've been dealing with um, you know, they've been dealing with saboteurs for like the last right. 4 years, so I mean, they're suspicious of everybody at this point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so totally separate from this particular um uh, the comic you know, or the story did you see the ad right below it mm, miss uh, teenage girls miss uh, teenage girls miss america contest a thousand yeah. cash prizes and it shows a woman dressing like a miss america cosplay i'm like yeah this is amazing <laughs> and this she was probably i mean i would guess that someone dressed up as miss america and maybe did some uso stuff or like this was maybe. probably uh, a hired you know she was probably playing Miss America, you know, for, I don't know, maybe they did serials of her. I don't know. But <laughs> even says, word to you boys, show this ad to your sister. Oh, because, <laughs> you know, girls reading comics. Is... <laughs> but no, that's that's but clearly somebody likes uh, Miss America. If yeah. they're dressing up like them. So I, I, I thought that was neat. It's a little yeah. side note from the from the actual no, story. Like but, yeah. But the, the art is good in this too. Like I said, we already yeah. we already talked about it, and uh, yeah. you know, these, you know, pretty good story too. I like I like that they're overseas fighting Nazis. That's what I expect from this mm-hmm. era, you know. So yeah, we finally get some. <laughs> and I th- and then there's another torch story after this one. I think it's the same art. Yeah, I, I didn't like read it. it. I didn't read anything um, it's else in this. The Baron Robber type thing. So yeah. I'm like, ah, it's another crime, you know? Like yeah. A, it looks like, like there's another Namor story. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he's wearing clothes. Yeah. <laughs> he's wearing so. jeans and a white t-shirt or a white shirt. So, you know. Uh, yeah. He puts the clothes on occasionally. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's yeah. some good stuff. I mean, it's a nice little, like, um, snapshot into what some of these characters were doing. You know. Yeah. Beginning of the war, end of war, middle war, you know, that type of stuff. It's pretty good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, so yeah, this kind of takes us to essentially the end of the war. You know, we've, we've talked about World War II f- for quite a while now, but we kind of wanted to, wanted a chance to get a couple of these characters and see kind of how they ended, not, not that they literally ended the war, but see how the comics featured them when the war was winding down. Uh, because I kind of looked ahead and, and a lot of the covers stop. Uh, featuring like Namor flipping boats over and, you know, anything to do with either Germany or Japan. So, and naturally, I mean, like this issue, I think was 44, but they already kind of knew that, seemed to know that things were wrapping up. So we're going to be done with World War II era, timely comics. And, you know, we, we are approaching Atlas comics in the 1950s. 
but we do have this period of like four years between World War Two and 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 Atlas. So in that time period, Timely was doing some stuff that that we haven't touched on at all. They were doing westerns, they were doing romance comics, just some different stuff. So we're going to look at that sort of stuff next. Uh, we will. You know, let you know on the Facebook page exactly what stories we're going to cover. But yeah, we're going to check out. I, I definitely want to check out uh, Blonde Phantom. She's a character that I associated with with Invaders, which then I thought was you know the, the all winners. But apparently, she comes after the war. So um, yeah, well, there's going to be a few things that we're going to check out here in this little time period between the war and Atlas. Yeah, I'm looking forward to kind of as much as I like this type of stuff, uh, to get into something new. Yeah. You know, something different. Yeah. Yeah. All new, all different. <laughs> I've heard that tagline before. Yeah. Well, thanks for, you know, we survived the war and, uh, <laughs> it's time to turn in our, our gear and check in and get out of the service and go do something else. That's right. The war changed us. Yeah. Right. We're, yeah. We're not the same. We're, we're going to return to civilian life and return to civilian comics. Yeah. <laughs> Come back next time for the continuing journey with Travis and Brian. Until then, join the conversation over at facebook.com slash groups slash Marvel Events Timeline. On Twitter and Instagram at Marvel Events Pod or email the show at marveleventspod at gmail.com.